This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. But welcome back to the Talking Hockey Podcast. This is episode 38. We have uh, Eric here with Ty Martin, and we have a special guest today. We have uh, Will Scouching on Twitter, who's a uh, one of my favorite prospect uh, scouts out there. Great YouTube series uh, covering all the uh, draft, all the teams that uh, had significant picks in the draft this year. Uh, he covers them really well. He's really good at blending, you know, both the numbers and the eye test together, which I really like. He does this really well in his YouTube videos, does it really well in his prospect breakdowns. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Will. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. Awesome. So we had Will basically uh, make us a top 30 prospect list. So NHL affiliated prospects, which we determined as less than 40 NHL games, I believe is what uh, Will told me. Ish. So, and he uh, went above and beyond expectations and gave us 50. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I just misread the message. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll probably, we'll probably hopefully go over 30 of them. We might skip a couple guys along the way, but I think it's a really interesting list and I really like the way you break uh, prospects down specifically. Mm-hmm. So um, before we address this list, can we kind of get your, the criteria that you kind of looked at to evaluate these players? Um, obviously this list isn't based off of where they are right now because guys like Kaprizov are a little bit lower than other guys who probably aren't as good right now. So kind of explain the methodology behind uh, your list here. Well, whenever I'm looking at players and trying to project them into the future i think about impact um so not necessarily who's going to score the most points or who's going to do this or this or this it's going to be sort of who's going to be the most important players when they're on the ice mm-hmm. um so to me i mean i look at kirill kaprizov and see yeah like in terms of players who have not played in the nhl he very well might be right up near the top if not at the top and i mean he's in the top 10 of this list um, but, it, but again, like where is a guy like Quinton Byfield or Lucas Raymond going to be in seven years or even a Trevor Zegras, you know, all of these players I think are going to be NHL players of some kind, but you know, it, it's always very important to keep in mind what your philosophy is, especially when making lists like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I try to look at it as, okay, where did I, you know, how do these players make me feel relative to the players that are maybe lower on the list that might've been draft eligibles earlier? You know, how strong do I think 2020 was relative to previous years? And I I mean, I'm of the belief that it was an extremely strong year. Um, But again, in terms of who made the list, I mean, guys who played the vast majority of last season or or prior years in the NHL, uh, or at least on an NHL roster would probably not make it. So guys like Jack Hughes, um, you know, uh, I believe the name that just barely didn't make it was Noah Dobson because he didn't play in the AHL last year. He was kind of a healthy scratch for half the year. So to me, he was on the NHL roster all year. I would expect him to be the same. He'd probably be on this list somewhere in the top 15, I would say. But uh, that the, that's kind of the criteria I went. It's hard to get it black and white, um, but <laughs> try yeah. trying. <laughs> Yeah, so just to clarify, this is not about right now, so people don't freak out. This is about their impact in the future and basically over the course of their careers, how they will perform compared to everyone else on this list. So uh, with that said, starting at one and two, um, I think this is everybody's one and two. I don't think you'd find almost any disagreement among anyone, but uh, one and two is uh, Lafreniere and Byfield. So kind of break down why you have Lafreniere in ha- ahead of Byfield because I personally caused a little bit of a ruckus when we released our uh, under 23 ranking. Mm-hmm. 
and I had a uh, byfield ahead of Lafreniere as in for impact down the line and Ty here uh, hated it. Absolutely hated it and was screaming and yelling <laughs> right, and yeah. lied down and almost passed out and just Not a fan. lost wow. his mind. <laughs> almost passed out. Eh? Wow. <laughs> so, uh, it, expi- and so I get a little uh, okay. emotional sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. It happens. So, so this is kind of, I want to, I want to, I want you to do this for me. I want you to make the argument for me. Why could Byfield be ahead of Lafreniere? Oh boy. Uh, well, I honestly, I think that they're neck and neck. Uh, you know, I, when I looked at this list, I mean, when it comes to a tiebreaker situation like this, I always defer to what do you have now? And to me, Lafreniere is, is a step ahead of where Byfield is now. But, uh, you know, when you look at Quinton Byfield, you see something you don't get very often. You know, I, I, the skating ability, the skill, the, 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 the potential of what he's got in the tank is tremendous. I mean, I, I look at Alexi Lafreniere. He's he's got a bit more to give, I think, in his game. I think there are areas where you can patch. Uh, but with Quinton Byfield, I mean, the holes in his game that you need to patch, I think, are easier to overcome. I think it's more about you know moving his feet, that extra step in the defensive end, using his reach a little bit more effectively. You know, working on his hand-eye coordination to play a little bit better defensively. Um, you know, he's a big player that doesn't need to play big. Uh, the things I love about him is that he's a six foot four center who plays like he's five foot nine, and that's rare. Um, you know, he can shoot it, he can pass it. You know, he's a great transition player offensively with the puck on his stick. His skating stride is a little bit funny looking, but you can fix that. I think. Um, I, I think that if you're betting on potential, Byfield could very easily be the number one guy on this list. But I look at what Lafreniere did this year compared to, you know, compared to Byfield, and I still see a better high-octane sort of scoring winger. But, you know, the thing that people bring up about Byfield is his World Junior. The thing I always retort with was, well, look at the World Juniors that Lafreniere that's, had That's Ty. Ago. You're talking about Ty right now. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you know what, though? Like, it's important to keep in mind. These guys are 11 months apart, and Lafreniere was in the same position Byfield was in at the World Juniors a year ago. People watched him play. They wondered where his game went. Uh, he got called out by his coach in the middle of that tournament. You know, Byfield never got to that point, but he barely was playing at the World Juniors this year, and he was on a loaded team. So I'll forgive him on that. If he's there at the World Juniors this year, I would expect him to be a premier player. But, I mean, if I'm the LA Kings, I have a lot of patience with him this year in the NHL because going back to the OHL, I don't I don't really know what he'll benefit from that. But, honestly, this is more of a 1 and 1A kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but but definitely going to look – not going to – I'm going to look the gift horse – in the mouth or whatever the, the saying is, I'm, I'm tired. Uh, I'm just going to take what's right in front of me and put, put Lafreniere at one. Okay, so before we move on, Ty, do you have anything to say about that? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree with your rankings right now. Lafreniere deserves to be at number one. And I just think that I, I've watched him since he was like 16 in the in the mm-hmm. QMJHL, right? And that like he just doesn't even look like he's trying he's out not, there. Yeah. He's 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 far and above the best player in that league. Yeah, and I I think that he's he's great. And you know, Byfield's great too. But um, I just wanted to bring up something that was kind of it kind of caused some some controversy on Twitter maybe back in June. There's another YouTuber, uh, Draft Dynasty. Uh, and he put him at like six on his rankings, and everyone yep. was all mad about that. <laughs> but I, I did see I, I I did me and my I always bring up uh, uh, my friend Adam. He's my uh, my friend scout. Spends a lot of time scouting as well. And he had Byfield. He said the same. He told me sort of things that he saw in Byfield's game. It was basically that he was just like much bigger than all the other guys out there. And he would kind of take advantage of the kind of the bad defense and go right at people. And and he didn't think that he could maybe do that. Like NHL defenders aren't going to let you just, you know, skate by them. You know what I mean? So that was kind of the criticism he had in in uh, my friend Adam had in Byfield's game. And I kind of took it and saw it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's, that's, that's kind of what I said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. But at the same time, like in the NHL, he's going to need to be really good at what you said he does a lot of like NHL defenses are going to get in his way. So he's going to yeah. need to learn how to adapt to that as well. Like OHL defense is okay, but I, I get the feeling that he's going to be just fine over, over time for sure. For sure. Yeah. So then moving on, uh, I, you have at number three, uh, Marco Rossi, and then at number four, Lucas Raymond. So I, I would say, looking at your list, it seems like you kind of have tiers. So the top tier is probably Lafreniere, then Byfield, and then the next tier is probably Rossi, Raymond. I, I'm not sure who else you would include in that tier, but uh, yeah. would you include anyone else? Or is that kind of its own tier I, of player? I think it would go down to maybe 
eight, nine, ten, Turcotte, Caulfield, probably not Perfetti, but at least mm-hmm. down to Turcotte. I, okay. I really, really like Alex Turcotte. Um, I have all the time in the world for Trevor Zegers and Kirill Kaprizov as well. In my actual draft rankings for 2020, Tim Stutzla was number five behind Rossi and Raymond. I mean, mm-hmm. this 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 three through I'd say three through eight at least are very close. Um, for and they're all kind of different types of players, but they're very close. Uh, so yeah, I do kind of think about these things as sort of tiers. I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that maybe Raymond goes at three in this slot, or Stutzla goes at three here, or even a, a, a Turcotte mm-hmm. or a Zegris. Um, but you know, for me, I look at Marco Rossi and just see a guy who every single time he stepped on the ice, he was doing something positive one way or the other, whether it was offensive, defensive, it, it didn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's a smart player. He, you know, everyone sort of questions his skating, but I, I think he's one of these players who maybe his skating isn't as elite as others. But I mean, there's lots of players in the NHL who do just fine without elite level skating. Um, so I think that with his adaptability, you know, he can attack the net really well, really, really smart playmaker, but really no slouch defensively either. Um, I think he's going to maximize whatever he's capable of in the NHL. He's a hard worker, um, you know, and I, I just really, really like watching him play. So for me, at three, like it's a soft three, but but I will go to bat for Marco Rossi for a long time. Mm-hmm. So here, here's the problem with your list, right? Yes. You have Marco Rossi at three, but you have Jack Quinn at 32. And Jack Quinn's obviously the better player because he went higher in the draft, yes. right? <laughs> so he's he's automatically the better player. Uh-huh. Right. So uh-huh. why, <laughs> why, why do you think they somehow, how did Buffalo end up taking Jack Quinn in the draft at, ahead of Marco Rossi? He clearly wasn't the better player on the 67s. I don't think there's many people out there that you can find that would think that Jack Quinn's a better player than Marco Rossi is. So why do you think that, uh, why do you think that happened? Or do you right. think you can even make an argument for that to happen? I think I can. So you think you can? Okay. I think I can. In terms of Jack Quinn, the the interesting thing is I tracked a few games of his. I did a full data set in a video on Rossi. With Jack Quinn, there are things at five on five that he does better than Marco Rossi. Mm-hmm. That is that is a fact, I think. In terms of being a winger, playing along the boards and sending pucks out in front of the net at five on five, he did that a lot. And and I think that's a miss. It's a mischaracterization of his game to call him a sniper. You look at his line mates. I think he was trying to put a lot of different things together when he was on the ice and he just didn't have the talent with him to sort of keep up with his brain and keep up with just how often he wanted to try to create scoring chances or his line mates just couldn't finish for him. Um, you know, he is a very good shooter for sure. Uh, but the questions that I have about his game that bumps him way further down this list for me is that he always struck me as a player that if I'm putting him in the NHL now, you know, a lot of things need to go. A lot of other players need to do a lot of legwork in order to get him in a position to be as successful as he could be. Mm -hmm. So I don't see him as the best transition player out there. I think Marco Rossi blew him out of the water in that area of the game, both directions. I think Jack Quinn skating is, awkward and really his his strides are pretty short he doesn't really use his 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 energy very efficiently from what i've seen um but he gets around fine you know where he's sort of at his best is just really quick thinking offensively it's sort of just no bs just get the job done get the puck into a dangerous spot and see what happens and i think he produces a lot that way he's a similar age to marco rossi i don't think it's that much of a step down but i think it's enough of a step down where there's a lot of other players in between those two that have been drafted over the last few years that I personally think will have a more impact on the NHL mm-hmm. game down the road. I think the Buffalo Sabres, I mean, you're going to park, if you're going to park Jack Quinn with Jack Eichel, it's going to look like a great pick. I think mm-hmm. that Jack yeah. Eichel is just going to do everything. And Jack Quinn is sort of going to be there as a great finisher. Be similar and, uh, to like Olofsson of this season, right? It could be. Yeah. So yeah. I could easily see a situation like that for Quinn, where you sort of transplant him with really good centers and, mobile puck moving defenseman and he puts a lot of points on the board for you but uh, I mean in terms of taking him over Marco Rossi I you know it was one of those things that you were told was going to happen you didn't want it to happen but you believed it was going to happen and then it (laughs) ended up happening and I think Minnesota uh, did pretty well all things considered Mm -hmm. Minnesota said thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) so do you so the thing is with 
we we know from Buffalo's history that they aren't a very good developing team. We know they aren't a very good drafting team. They obviously hit it out of the park with Eichel, but anyone would hit it out of the park at number two in 2015, right? Everyone was drafting Eichel. Um, everyone was drafting Darlene first overall. You weren't going to miss on those guys. Mm-hmm. It's the guys later down, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, the uh, Nylanders, the... Um, Middle stat, like all, all of those guys that they've been missing on. Um, some guys they drafted way higher than I would have thought they would draft these guys. And this is another one of those examples where they drafted a guy much higher than I think they should have over guys that I think were much better. So do you think that Rossi or which of the two do you think is more NHL ready? And which of the two do you think will have to rely a little bit less on Buffalo's development system to kind of get them to where they need to be? And now we'll be back after a word from our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site in the world that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore Total Visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all caps. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now we'll get back into the show. Oh man, I mean, I think, I mean, I think right now, yeah, I mean, I think right now you look at Marco Rossi and, and, you know, I think he could be an NHL player. I mean, not many centers who score at a rate of 140 points in the OHL don't go straight to the NHL. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I think the only concern people have brought up with me is that he's too small to play center in the NHL. I mean, I think the age of shorter centers is kind of just sort of getting going. Yeah. I think I think his instincts and his defensive ability are more than adequate enough to sort of overcome his limitations. Maybe he's not going to score 80, 90, 100 points in the NHL, but he's, I think, going to drive really good impacts overall. Um, I think he's going to drive really good transition data if he's paired with guys who can finish play for him. And he doesn't have to rely on attacking the net so much. And he can sort of spread his offense out with his line mates. I think that would be a big step for him as well. Um, so, I mean, I look at him and go, yeah, I mean, maybe the skating is something he needs to work on in terms of just generating power, generating speed. But I, I don't think that's the biggest thing to be concerned about. And I think mm-hmm. you can, I mean, he's in Minnesota this year and you look at their center depth. I don't think anyone's expecting the Minnesota Wild to be an, a world-ending team next season. And if the alternative is sending him to big ice in Switzerland, mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of sit there and go, you know what? See what he can do. And and you'll know what he needs to work on when he's in the NHL. And maybe he is just really struggling. And then maybe you can, you know, give him a report card, send him to Switzerland, and he can clean up over there. But I would give him a chance. I'd give him a lot of rope because um, I think he's earned it. And yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. But mm-hmm. with Jack Quinn, I definitely don't see an NHL-ready player this year. I think in a year, you'll probably see him chipping in, maybe. But, you know, again, in terms of projecting his game as it is now, 
I don't I don't see it as rock solid as yeah. as Marco Rossi. Yeah, because so one common kind of theme that we had when we were doing our under 23 rankings episode was that when I was ranking these players, I couldn't just rank them on their talent and on how I projected them to be. I had to kind of rank them based off of how I thought their individual teams would kind of develop them. So there's teams that I trust more to develop players properly, and there's teams that I don't trust to develop players properly, right? So when we were looking, we were talking, one of the big kind of debates that we were all having together was Darlene versus Quinn, uh, Quinn Hughes versus Kale McCarr and their projectability and how they would do over their careers. Hard topic, I know, but I kind of looked at it and said, Darlene, although he's good, like Martin made this point, I think, where he said, Darlene's good enough where he'll develop himself. He doesn't need bu- he doesn't need to rely on Buffalo to kind of guide him to where he needs to be. But I just saw it as, I don't know if Buffalo is going to develop him well enough to reach his peak potential as a player compared to, I believe, in Colorado's system. I believe in Vancouver's system a little bit more, right? So do you th- so how much how much did that kind of influence your rankings? Or did you not consider that at all when kind of talking about these players? Uh, I don't really think about that so much mm-hmm. unless there's a specific case study to, to be examined. Yeah. You know, like I, I agree with Martin where there's a there's a Rasmus Dahlin sort of he's just gonna be good, you know, mm-hmm. he's gonna figure it out. And I think he's a player where people kind of forget just how productive he's been. And I think people kind of forget what makes him kind of so special. And it's like, he's not, he's not Quinn Hughes. Like he's not that Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes highlight real guy, but Mm -hmm. he's a highlight real guy when you pay attention to him on the ice and like just the little stuff that he does, the way he opens the ice, the way he distributes the puck, the way he controls the ice when he's out there. I mean, he leans a little bit more offensively from what I've seen in the data, but like, I don't know. I mean, he's a guy who who has really subtle skill and 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 it's not something that comes out super often. You see a guy like Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes, yeah, that it's right it's, you know, it's right there. It's on yeah. TSN every day. Um sure. but in terms of the individual developments, uh it 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 didn't really factor into this list specifically. I mean, I mean, I have Kirill Marchenko here at 18 and he's a Columbus guy and Columbus's system is bonkers good it seems they seem to pluck mm-hmm. guys out of everywhere um and and marchenko i mean i also think that's also part of ska st petersburg basically having the resources to do whatever they want and mm-hmm. so with with a guy like marchenko yeah maybe columbus is the one doing a lot of the developing but at the same time i don't remember kirill marchenko really ever being in a columbus camp i do remember him playing for ska st petersburg a lot and, you know, I think that's also another factor is the actual program the players are going to, you know, Alex Turcotte going to Wisconsin. That's one where when I watched Wisconsin play this year, I go, yeah, I, if I was Alex Turcotte, I'd want to get the hell out of there too. Like yeah. it's, it was bad. And, <laughs> was really and bad. I was surprised Cole Caulfield stuck around and, you know, I wasn't surprised that Dylan Holloway maybe didn't have the season that people expected out of a freshman like him. So I think that's another thing that people have to keep in mind is look at the teams that the players are going to be playing on. Like they might get an NHL camp. NHL teams might have pointers and and advice for them that they give them remotely. But in terms of hands-on development, it's just as much up to the individual program the players are a part of. And Mm. that that can be a, a big factor as well. For sure. So then moving on at number five, you have uh, Trevor Zagros at number six, you have Tim Stutzla and at seven, you have Kaprizov. Mm-hmm. So Martin's a big fan of Stutzla and he, I believe he thinks that Stutzla is better than uh, Rossi and Raymond. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, I don't want to speak. It's a far. sense bias. Obviously. It's a, it is sure. a sense bias for sure. <laughs> so can you break down, break down Zagos first? Cause we kind of, we already have an episode with Stutzla where we actually talked about him with the uh, Rachel Dory, who I know you had on your podcast, I believe yes. um, after the draft. And I think you guys might have some disagreements on, on him. So I, I want to get to him after, but can you do, uh, can you break down Zagris for us a little bit first? Yeah. I mean, Zagris is just a joyous hockey player to watch. I mean, he, he's, he's one of the more creative and clever offensive playmakers that I've seen in a long time. Um, I, he, his world junior was kind of a coming out party for him. I mean, I, he, he can make plays out of nothing. He's incredibly quick on his edges to make plays and, and open up the ice and make passes really effectively. Uh, just a dangerous player with the puck on his own stick. And, and that's something I do value a lot. Uh, like I said, this whole group is really even. I mean, Trevor Zegris with the Ducks, though, especially, you know, with a guy like Jamie Drysdale on the, on the team down the road. I mean, the Ducks are sort of replenishing their stock pretty quick. 
And I think Zegris is going to be a really, really big part of that offense. I mean, maybe Drysdale wasn't the guy I would have gone for at six because mm-hmm. of, you know, maybe you get a guy that can play with a Zegris or maybe a guy that can back Zegris up. But I think Zegris is going to be a guy who is invaluable in terms of generating offense. And he's really, really, really good at it right now. Um, so I, I have all the time in the world for Trevor Zegris. And, and I was thrilled to see his world junior go the way it did. So what what about him or what about Stutzler, let's say, puts him behind guys like Rossi and Raymond for you and Zagres, obviously. Yeah. I mean, Stutzler was in the same tier for me as Rossi and Raymond, but I had him at five mostly because there, there was a weird feeling I got watching him play where it wasn't like he was reading play. You know, it's like he was trying to write the book instead of read the book, you know, like he was constantly, moving he was constantly moving and shaking and trying to find you know that's good to a certain extent but there came a point where I sort of thought okay he's just kind of hanging on to the puck for too long he's he's trying to overthink the play you know he if he wasn't attacking the middle of the ice until the end of the year from what I tracked um you know there were things where if we're talking literally a potential foundational player Mm -hmm. I saw I saw more of an admirable player in Lucas Raymond, I think, especially away from the puck. Yeah. And with Marco Rossi, I saw just a dynamic two-way rock-solid center that you're going to want on your team. Tim Stutzla probably would have scored a similar amount of points to a guy like Rossi in the in the OHL if he came, but I mean, and I have no doubt that Stutzla is going to score points in the NHL and he's going to be an impact player. But at the same time, you know, I, I look at impact as sort of a more two-way kind of thing. And with Stutzla, it was kind of underwhelming on the other, on the defensive side of the game. And with the puck on his own stick, he certainly has all the talent in the world to do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just going to be a matter of controlling, getting his game under control. You know, he's kind of like before Charizard was tamed in Pokemon. You know, it's like <laughs> you see what he's capable of, you know. But then it's like once in a while, you're just like, you know, you're, 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 you're again, like writing that book instead of just reading it or, or Mm -hmm. troubleshooting instead of problem solving, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's two sides of a similar coin and I'm sure he's going to be just fine. But again, we're talking about really razor thin margins here. Right. So, I mean, I could be easily wrong over the next few years, but I, I, I definitely felt that there was a little bit more to like out of guys like Rossi and Raymond, but in terms of offensive ability and skill and, and all the fun stuff, Stutzel's right there. Yeah, so so when we had Rachel Dorian, uh, you know, obviously she was doing some scouting for Elite Prospects, and Elite Prospects had him down all the way at I believe eight, I want to say. Yep. Um. So and she and when she came on the podcast, she kind of broke down. She said some very similar things to what you said about his game, his problem solving ability, um, his ability to attack the middle of the ice. Obviously, she talked about how Ray, Lucas Raymond and Tim Stutzler were kind of opposites in that fashion, where. He, Lucas Raymond was constantly attacking the middle and uh, Sitzel didn't seem to attack the middle as often. So it's interesting how you guys kind of addressed similar weaknesses and strengths in Stutzel and Raymond's games. But then at the same time, you guys also had such a difference in where you ranked him, right? Like you had him, not not a huge difference, obviously, not a huge yep. difference, five, eight, whatever, whatever. It's not a gigantic difference, but there is still, you know, a fair bit of difference there in mm-hmm. the way that you guys ranked him just based off of, um, how you both saw the same strengths and weaknesses, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's more about how you value the strengths and weaknesses, yeah. right? Like, I also would also say that the, you know, I think that the gap between where Rachel and I might agree or disagree, I think is a bit wider, which is what might put Stutzla further back. So yeah. when she says that he doesn't attack the middle, I would disagree with that i think he didn't do it enough and he has the potential to do it more often and Mm -hmm. he did it more often as the year went on but in terms of you know seeing that trend and sort of never being able to forget it if that's something you really 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 value which to me it's good to see and if i see a guy who's capable of doing it not doing it to me that's something that's relatively easy to fix it's more of a confidence thing Mm -hmm. so if you see that then that's that's not necessarily as much of a red flag to me. Whereas I remember their discussion about Tim Stutzla and a lot of it, I sort of went, yeah, I agree with you, but I don't think it's as big of a deal. Like yeah. they're not wrong, but but they're really putting a lot of weight behind the negative and that's okay. I'm not trying to say that, that they're full of crap, but I'm just saying 
it's there, but I don't, I, I think you trust the talent that he displays and say, all right, there's a little bit of stuff mentally that we need to figure out more, more useful as a functional unit on the ice or an individual in a functional unit, attack mm-hmm. the middle more often, but he's capable, right? Like, yeah. it's not like you have to work on his skill or his skating to get him into the middle of the ice more. It's he's doing it, but it's just, he's not putting in that extra 10 or 15%. How much of an impact does Stutzla playing against men? Like maybe he's a little more mm. timid in, t- in terms of going into the middle. Um, in yeah. Comparison to Rossi, who was playing against individuals his own age. That's definitely a factor. I definitely, definitely see that as something you can bring up. I mean, I think also if it were, say, the Swedish Hockey League, I would be more, uh, I'd be less concerned. But with mm. the DEL, I mean, the DEL defense is, I would say, relatively soft. Like, they're really willing in Germany to allow a gap and let the opponent come to them and then sort of capitalize along the boards or or whatever. Whereas in, you know, a place like Sweden or in a place like Finland or even in North America, they're much more aggressive on defense. They don't, they don't let the opponent get set up. They don't give the opponent the space a lot more often or ideally. And... So I find that it's not obviously every DEL player does that, but it's it's more of a trend. So I found that Stutzla was able to put defenders on their heels a lot more often because of his speed and his skill and all those things and the natural tendency of these players to sort of give offensive players the space. It 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 obviously that's not like universal, but mm. you're right. Like it is something to note. But when I looked at a Lucas Raymond, I mean, yes, he was attacking the middle more often, but he was also unsuccessful quite a lot because those defensemen were better and they're definitely stronger than he was. And, you know, he, he was trying to get there, but like in my sample of him, he has no shot attempts from high danger, which is not the end of the world considering how often he was shooting from a little bit further out. But again, like in the SHL, I think that the defensemen are a little bit more aggressive, a little more willing to use the body uh, and, and just flat out better. Um, So it's something to note for sure. I just find that with Stutzla, he was putting guys on their heels and if he can learn to do that at the next level, then great. Uh, you know, so, so we'll see, but it is, it is a factor. Awesome. Okay, Martin, so... hopes, Martin hopes he's good. But it's just interesting. <laughs> cause like, yeah, some, uh, some like uh, back in June, some NHL scouts were saying, Oh, this guy could go number two, right? Stutzla. But uh, just interesting to hear you guys have him down, you know, five or eight. Anyway, on to the next one, Kirill Kaprizov. I'm, uh, he, I've been hearing about this guy since he was drafted in 2015. So <laughs> yes. I'm excited to hear about a bit about his game because I don't watch a lot of Russian hockey. It is an adventure. Uh, yeah. um, I'll tell you that much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Kirill Kaprizov has just been exploding the KHL for years. I mean, like, yeah, there are certain cases where you can look at a KHL player and say, ah, I don't think that's going to project to North America. Like, ah, he's getting away with a lot. Um, I think KHL hockey is loose. It's pretty loose, but it's also, it's weirdly loose and tight at the same time. Um, (laughs) You know, like it's a weird type, it's a weird style of game where I think it also really depends on the type of players that are on the ice. Like sometimes you watch KHL players play and you go, I wouldn't sign this guy if I was the GM of a second division German team. But at the same time, there are guys in the KHL who used to play top four minutes in the NHL and they look really, really good over there. Um, So it depends on individuals, but with Kaprizov, I mean, you, you, the proof of the pudding's right there. He, he's a great shooter, great offensive player, dual threat offense, but his shot is kind of where he's sort of making his money. Um, you know, he should just transplant directly onto the Minnesota Wild team and, and chip in. Again, they don't really have a tremendous amount of players that can move the puck up the ice right now. I think they're missing a lot of, of real high-end talent to play with Kaprizov, but I mean you know, you never know. I mean, he just needs to find some open ice and get shots off. He's a really, really good offensive player. Um, I, I, he won't be that sort of major two, uh, two way impact guy. And he's definitely going to he need to hit the ground running in the NHL mm-hmm. um, because he's what, 25 or something, 26, yeah, he's like 23, 24. Yeah. Oh, so I, anyway, yeah. uh, but he's, <laughs> he's not young. So, you know, you're hoping that it, the adjustment period isn't super huge. Um, but I think that's also a guy where even if he's under pressure, he has the skill to sort of adapt and move around opposing defenses and get his way around the offensive zone. So I think he'll be fine. Um, I, I'm a big fan of him. I think he'll be a plug and play second line scorer. We'll see if he's anything more than that. But it, again, a second line scorer is a really good pickup, especially for where he was drafted. And to pick it up on an ELC is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at, um, 
you know, where a lot of these guys in his similar area of this ranking might end up, you know, it would be a bit of a disappointment if someone like Turcotte or Caulfield or Perfetti or Drysdale ended up a second pair, second line guy, but that's not the end of the world. You know, that's still a good piece. And Kaprizov being that, even if it's a good second line piece, I think that's perfectly reasonable. And I think he will be just fine. So do you see the star potential that some people see? Like, do you see him as another, you know, Panarin's obviously a high bar. That's not really fair to him. But do you see do you see that kind of high bar, that potential for him? Because I know that there's a lot of people that I've seen, you know, on Twitter in the scouting community, et cetera. And they're talking about, you know, the numbers that he's put up in the KHL so far and looking at stuff like his NHL, uh, NHLE and stuff like that. Um his expected points in the NHL based off his KHL production, mm-hmm. accounting for age, et cetera, et cetera. And they see it as, you know, better than what Panarin's was at the time when he came over and stuff like that. So what, yeah. what, what do you think about that? I don't think I see the same level of player there. I, I think Panarin has a transition game and a, and a skill level that I don't think Kaprizov has. But I think mm-hmm. in terms of an offensive game, Kaprizov is is extremely dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, I think... With him, I don't know about I don't know about superstar kind of hyper player in the NHL kind of potential, but I think he's going to be a really good offensive contributor. I mean, the coming out party for him was the Olympics, and the Olympics didn't have the pro players there, or at least the NHL. Uh, so you got to look at him, sort of. You know, here's a, the best players around the world that aren't playing in the best league. And to me, I looked at Kirill Kaprizov in that tournament and go that guy is too good for this group of players. Like he's, he's just too good. Like he, he belongs somewhere else. And the only where only place to go outside of here is the NHL. So I think he'll be a good NHL player at the very least. If he's anything more, I think there's potential for that. But again, like you at this point, kind of know what you're getting with a 23 year old, who's going to turn 24. Um, And I think you're going to get a guy who can at least score goals, which is perfectly fine as long as you pair him with guys who can get him the puck and you give him some freedom in the offensive end. I don't know about a Panarin-style player, maybe, but I think it's more likely that we're going to see more of a guy who is a very good offensive producer with more of a goal-scoring streak than anything. So on the record right now, how many points is Kaprizov going to put up in the NHL? Oh! <laughs> Just so uh, you can get yelled at by people. Well, you know? I mean, <laughs> well, I'm just going to spit out 57 because okay. I don't Devin. know. Yeah, okay. I think he's he I might he, I think he'll score 30 goals, 20 25 20 27 30 goals 27 assists. assists. We'll call it we'll call there it we that. Go. Okay, I like it. I I respect I respect that prediction. <laughs> okay, so uh so moving on, uh we talked a little bit about Turcotte and Caulfield and then um we haven't really talked about Perfetti, so I don't want to you know rehash all of that but can we talk a little bit about Perfetti at number 10 then because I really like Perfetti I'm especially mm-hmm. high on him especially I wasn't so high on him before the draft but after the draft I got to like watch him a little bit more and a ton I got to read a ton more scouting reports etc cetera, etc cetera, and I really liked Perfetti's game and how smart and intelligent he is on the ice mm-hmm. how he's able to avoid problems how he's he's just a very intelligent player it seems he's obviously not the most skilled as a guy like Stutzla, for example. So can you just break break him down a little bit for us and what you see his yeah. potential is? Well, like you said, like he's a really good smart smarts first player. Like he one of the things he does so 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 well is be just unpredictable. You know, you never ever ever know what he's going to do when he gets the puck across the offensive blue line. He's he's a, a great manipulator of opponents. He knows how to open up the ice, open up passing lanes. He can see passing lanes and, and choose which ones he would like to attack with. Um, you know, he overcomes sort of the limitations in his raw speed, I think really, really well. A lot of people, you know, in the tracking data that I did, a lot of people were asking me, you know, in terms of efficiency offensively, Rossi and Perfetti were the only two players where four out of five offensive transitions were done with control, but they were done very differently. So, you know, Rossi has sort of that dual threat, sort of passing and carrying threat in the offensive transition game, but Perfetti is much more of a passer. You know, I see him as a a link that can link your defensemen to your wingers really, really well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think he does that extremely well. And then when he does get the puck on his own stick, you know, he's got all the potential in the world to, to make it, make something happen, whether it's a a passing play or, or scoring it himself. So, 
you know, he's got a really nice, well-rounded group of skills that are sort of exclamation marked by his brain. And I think that those are really good things to build off of. And if it all it is that's holding him back from being a top six center at the NHL level, which, you know, I think he might end up a winger, but as a center, I think it's possible. If the only thing holding him back from being a real high-end center is his skating work, you give him a couple of years to work on it in the OHL or, or with the Jets, I, I think he's going to be a great player. So I really liked that the Jets picked him up at 10. I mm-hmm. thought he was going to be gone way before. Um, but I think people might have latched on to what you see with your eyes rather than trying to put yourself in his mind. Because I think when you do that, you really start to sort of see what he's seeing when he's on the ice. And I think you start to see what makes him sort of more special. Yeah, because there, I remember there was a lot of talk about Perfetti going at number three to Detroit, I believe. Um, or number four, sorry, number yeah. four, number four uh, to Detroit in the draft. So mm-hmm. it was interesting to see how much he fell. Um, so moving on at number eleven, you had Drysdale, and we'll talk a little bit about Drysdale later when we get to Sanderson. Um, but and then at number twelve, you have you had Alexander Holtz, and I think this is where one of your first hot takes on this list comes at number thirteen with Zadina. Yep. So. I think a lot of people have soured on him, especially over the last couple of years. Obviously, he hasn't been as high in a high impact goal scorer yet. He's super young. He just drafted two years ago or whatever. So it's not like he needs to have an impact already. But I think that's kind of where your first hot take kind of comes in, where a lot of people will disagree. So uh, can you kind of break down his game and why do you have him a little? I feel like you have him quite a bit higher than a lot of people would have on their uh, own rankings. Yes. So, uh, I certainly am not writing him off. He's what, 20? He's turning 21 in a week. Um, so the big thing with Zadina that I just really like is just the offensive potential. And he's going to be similar. I think he's going to need guys who can sort of get him the puck and put him in a scoring position. Um, but, I mean, I think at the end of the day, he's going to score points. I mean, he played for the Detroit Red Wings, who we all know how good they were last year. And he put up a rate of about maybe 50 points in a season if he played the full year. And a a guy who's 20 years old, who turned 20 during the year, scoring at a 50-point pace in the NHL, that's not so bad, especially when he's playing on the worst team in the league. So my hunch is that, I mean, he's got five goals in six games in the Czech Pro League this year. Uh, That's not a joke of a league. Um, I'm willing to say the people sort of devaluing him are really sort of latching on to other players who were drafted after him now being in the NHL and playing. Um, But again, I think the Detroit Red Wings this year took the angle of go to the AHL because the NHL team is going to be total ass. And, and when we're ready to bring you back up, if you're too good for the AHL, then we'll bring you up. And they brought him up and he scored at a 50 point pace. So if he comes back this year and has a similar scoring pace, then maybe it's a bit of a question mark depending on who he's playing with. Um, but I still really believe in him. I, I think the offensive potential is really, really strong. Um, maybe not the best two-way player, but in terms of scoring points, he's going to be right up there. And again, like with this list, this is part of the reason I don't like putting together lists, lists like this. But I mean, he's certainly, this whole group is all very, very close. Um, but I, I'm still a big believer in him. So I think the biggest criticism of Zadina has been his... Um... Like, like the same criticism with Stutzla is he's, he seems to be a very perimeter player and relies on a shot a little bit more. Uh, what, what do you think about that criticism? I mean, I can understand that. I think, I think there's, he definitely leans more on his shot and his scoring than more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think his two-way game is really going to make any fans out of him. Um, but I think he's going to be one of these guys who over time, you're just going to need to shut up and just appreciate when he scores. Like, I think that might just be it. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't seen a tremendous amount of him in the AHL this year. Um, but I just, what I remember of him when he was younger, I mean, I can totally see how he might be that kind of a player and relying very much on an individual basis. But I mean, if he's surrounded by guys who are focused on the team side of things and can just get the focus of get Zadina the puck. And so he can put it in the net that's not the end of the world. I mean, we'll see what happens with the Red Wings over the next little while, but I still think he's a big part of that future. Awesome. Okay, so at number 14, you had Bone Byram, uh, 15, Dylan Cousins, and then 16, Askrov. So uh, before I want, before we get into Byram, what was your reasoning for... So obviously goalies are hard. Goalies are stupidly hard. You don't know really what's going to happen with them. What, what's your kind of reasoning for having him at 16 compared to either higher up on this list or kind of lo- lower, a little bit lower on this list? 
Well, a big thing is the track record. I mean, the only, only, only thing that he has not been spectacular at is the World Juniors this past year. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have seen a lot of Russian international hockey and the defense groups that they often put in front of their goaltenders are not great. And so, you know, I remember the first time I really sort of sat back and went, oh, crap, this guy might actually be a goalie worth taking really high was at the under 18s when he was playing against Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zegras and all those guys and just stonewalling them, you know, like cross ice one timers. He made it look like it was easy. Um, You know, he plays with a lot of maturity to his game. Most of the time he's athletic, you know, he's never really out of the picture. Uh, And then when you look at his results so far in the KHL on what is basically the, 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 the Toronto Maple Leafs of the KHL, you know, you don't want to be on SKA St. Petersburg and disappointing the fans and ownership. Um, And he is in net for them a lot and doing very well. So I am a very big fan of Yaroslav Askarov. You know, my calculus on his draft pick was, do you think he could be, what are you, what's your percentage chance that he's your franchise goaltender? Is it 50, 50? All right. Where are you comfortable making that bet? Fifth overall, sixth overall, probably not. But like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, like in that area of the draft, you might be deciding between a 50, 50 shot at a franchise goalie, or maybe a guy who's a middle six scoring winger or a second pair defenseman. So which would you rather take the gamble on? Every player is a gamble one way or the other. So for me, I mean, Askarov, yeah, goalies are weird, but goalies get less weird when they show you more at high level hockey. And he showed a lot at really high level hockey. So with him, it was a little different to me than someone like a Spencer Knight, where I looked at him and said, well, he's playing on the USNTDP and the guys in front of him are spectacular. Um, and I've never really seen him super tested. He's turning out to be pretty good, but I look at Askarov and say, all right, he's he's facing heavy workloads in a good league and looks to be just fine. And the only time he wasn't fine was at the World Juniors. And that's not the end of the world to me. So I really like him. I think he's got really a really good future ahead of him in, in Nashville. So uh, I'm curious. I Maybe he works out. And if he does, I think he'll be a very valuable player for that team. You want to say weird goalies. He's all, I, I remember watching the World Juniors. He's always like bouncing around and it's kind of, not, he's, yeah. Very jumpy in the net, it looked like almost. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then number 17 was uh, Newhook. 18, we talked about Marshenko a little bit. And then at 19, you had uh, Ottawa Senators prospect Branstrom, who's uh, a Martin favorite. So I kind of want to group all the defensemen into this conversation a little bit because obviously they're all relatively close to each other, so that's why I kind of wanted to wait on the Drysdale. So you have Drysdale at 11, Brandstrom at 19. Byram um, at 14. Byram at 14, and then uh, Sand- Sanderson at 26. So those are kind of the more interesting defensemen to me, and then we'll, we can get talk about Sider and Sturgeon later. But can you kind of break down their games a little bit and kind of explain the differences in their rankings because I think there's a there seems to be quite a bit of a gap between Sanderson and then uh, Byram and Drysdale, for example. Sure. Uh, You know, Sanderson certainly could be, I think, higher on this list, just looking at it now. But again, (laughs) it's hard to say with Sanderson. I mean, I think he's a player where on North Dakota, I think you're going to really see what kind of a player he's going to become. I think he could very easily become more of a defense first kind of guy. I think he also could very easily become more of an offense first guy. I think he could be maybe a mix of both, but depending on which direction he goes in his career, it's going to have a real gauge on the overall impact on the game. He's going to have with Jamie Drysdale. I mean, I see a guy who is a more offensive leaning guy who can just eat minutes. I don't think he is a tremendously useful defensive player in the defensive zone, but he's a capable defensive transition player, but a great puck mover really good offensive guy with a great vision in the offensive zone from what I've seen. Bowen Byram, I know he's a bit of a weird one. I mean, he's a guy who plays a style of defense that I'm not jumping out of my chair to go and draft, you know, that sort of fourth forward kind of aspect. But in the right situation, like Colorado, I think it'll work. Um, You know, they're not afraid to engage their defensemen aggressively, offensively, as long as they're sort of smart about it. And I think he's usually pretty smart about it. Um, so I, I just really like Bowen Byram. I think this past season, Vancouver was not the best team in the world. And, you know, he still produced very well, all things considered. Um, I, I really like sort of the, the game that he plays, but maybe I don't 
uh, I don't, I don't look for defensemen like that to fill out my entire roster with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with Brandstrom, you know, he's a different sort of flavor of that aggressive offensive guy, tons and tons of potential, um, great year in, 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 uh, in Belleville this year. You know, I, I think his skill and the skating that he has and the puck distribution ability is, is really high level. Uh, and then, you know, with Sanderson, I mean, again, these guys are not that far apart from each other. I look at Jake Sanderson and say, all right, really gifted skater for his size, really, really young. There's a lot of, of I think, mass you can put on his frame between now and when he gets to the NHL. You know, and it's going to be a question of what is he going to be? I think his offensive game, when it comes to making offensive plays on his own, not sure how much that will project. But in terms of a transition defender, where it's, where it's sort of like he's the primary guy to get pucks off of opponents. Anyway, with Sanderson, I think he's going to be a guy where he gets the puck back and he carries it into the offensive zone for his teammate. You know, like that's, a, that's, a, that's an important role. Um, but again, the overall impact on the game that that will have I don't know. And again, at fifth overall, he wouldn't have been the guy that I would have pushed for. Um, but when I look at where he's at on this list with the other defensemen, I mean, Victor Soderstrom, Moritz Sider, uh, Jake Bean, you know, all those guys I think are going to be NHL contributors, but maybe not top pair impact guys. And I think Sanderson is right in that mix. Maybe Byron will be the same as well. But again, I look at Alex Newhook, Eric Brandstrom, Anton Mundell, Vasily Podkolzin, all these guys in this range, I think are going to be very useful sort of top half of the lineup players. And I think Sanderson might be around where the end of that group is. Maybe Jake Bean, maybe Maverick Bork, maybe down all the way to the 30th slot on my list. But yeah, I mean, I I just kind of have Sanderson's overall impact on the game and how it projects as a bit lower when he faced tougher competition like North Dakota when I tracked him. His game, his, his defensive inadequacies along the boards might have been exposed a little bit. His, uh, you know, he can get beat wide a little bit uh, from from guys that are really quick, but he's on the right track. So all these defensemen, I think, are going to serve different purposes. Uh, when I look at overall sort of impact and sort of driving differentials and, and registering offensive pr- production, guys like Byram and Brandstrom and even Soderstrom to a lesser extent, I think, give a little bit more in that area. But Sanderson, I think, is going to be a very important role player for the Senators. So at uh, number 20, you had Anton Lindell, and we talked a fair bit about him on on our podcast with Rachel, so I don't think we need to go into him too much other than to say, I think a lot of the the hype around, or a lot of the narrative around his offensive game and how he didn't have it is kind of being disproven a little bit this season. Yes. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> okay. I, in, the, in the video report that I made on him, I think the way that I put it, and I try not to be revisionist, I think the way I put it was, if he can get his hands to work better with his feet, there's offensive potential. Like the thing that I noticed about him was sometimes his hands were like bricks. Like it just, it was not there, you know, transitions, passing the puck, generating offense. It was just really hit or miss. But the thing that sort of helped him was his brain and his defensive responsibility, you know, his ability to just prevent things from happening in his own end and make things happen in the neutral zone and into the neutral zone and into the offensive zone. And the rest, it, there's potential in terms of offense. It just was a matter of sort of getting everything to sort of work a little bit better together. And it seems mm. to have seems to have happened. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So here's another, what I view as a little bit of a hot take. You have at number one, Pod Colson, and at 22, Seth Jarvis. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would see Seth Jarvis under Pod Colson, at least a lot of the people that I kind of follow and they think you're crazy. So I want you, I, I, I think it's interesting and that's why I like following your work because you always, you have a lot of similar opinions to me, but you also have a fairly, some fairly different ones, which I like. So can you kind of break that down? Why you would have pod Coles and ahead of uh, Seth Jarvis there and you have him ahead of quite a few, like pretty elite prospects, I would say as well. Well, with pod Coles and I think the thing that is fascinating about him is that he is a hard work player. Like, he is going to be as good as his body will take him. Like, he puts out 100% every single time he's on the ice. I made a bit of an issue last year when I did the video on him where, you know, he might not have the offensive projectability to his game. I don't think he's going to be a guy where he's going to score 80 points in an NHL season. But I definitely think that he could be a guy who drives great analytics. I think he could be a guy that drives great defensive results. 
you know, he's very much that Lucas Raymond off the puck kind of guy where he's just a tremendous worker. Um, you know, he, when he skates with the puck on his own stick, it looks like he's just chugging up the ice 110%. So the question to me will be, how far does that take him? And I think his overall impact on the game, if his job is, you know, drive the puck up the ice with energy and power and then get to the front of the net so that your skilled guys and playmakers can put pucks on net that you can then clean up the trash. I think Pod Colson could be a great role player in that regard. How much value does that have on your team? I don't know. We'll have to see. With Seth Jarvis, um, you know, the names that I have ahead of him or behind him, you know, Vitaly Kravtsov is in there, uh, Maverick Bork, Nick Robertson. All these players, I think, are guys who are really more talented with the puck on their stick than Pod Colson. I think mm-hmm. in terms of opening the, opening the ice, opening space, scoring points from medium danger and further out from the net rather than trying to crash the net. You know, I think those guys might bring a bit more to the table. And I think in their NHL careers, they'll score more points. But, you know, with guys like Vitaly Kravtsov, I don't expect him to be anything more than I'd say like a second line catch and release shooting threat with some playmaking to him as well. Mm -hmm. You know, his shot is where he's going to make his money. um, And I don't, his mobility has gotten a lot better since he was drafted. Um, But, you know, similar to a guy like Maverick Bork, where defensively, I don't really see the work rate out of Maverick Bork, which is what I think left him off the board for a while in the draft. Um, But I do really love Maverick Bork's offensive ability, especially when it comes to when you think he's going to give up the puck he finds a way to keep the possession and and make a play. So I I think that when you look at Seth Jarvis, he's a good two-way player, but I don't think he has the sort of work rate that Pod Colson does. And I think the work rate that Pod Colson does will take him a long way in the NHL. Um, Mm. I think he's going to put a lot together, maybe not score a ton of points, but with the right line mates, he could be a very important line that maybe fans find underwhelming at the time, but then being nostalgic about it after he's gone, you kind of go, <laughs> gosh, it was really nice having Vasily Colson on the ice. Yeah, I like I like the way you put that there. So I think that's interesting then because that's kind of the difference in how we viewed those two prospects. I think the way that you explained the differences and what you valued more versus what I think I valued a little bit more, which was Jarvis's puck skills, um, very Nylander-esque, I would say, in his, way, in his ability to control the puck and, um, you know, uh, deke out players and kind of operate in tight spaces and everything like that. It was very Nylander-esque for me when, I, when I've when i watched him over the course of the last couple of weeks anyways in preparation for this. Um, so I think Rangers fans probably will, will probably get mad at you. I think there'll be a lot of yelling um, when they see Kravstov at number 25 when we post this. I completely agree with you. I might even have Kravstov lower because I've just never been impressed with him at basically any time I've seen him play. Um, I think, you know, I, it was interesting because I think I want to say Craig button, he had him number one on his uh, prospects list like a year ago. And that kind of overhyped Kravstov into the, Oh, he's going to have an immediate impact in the NHL next season. And then kind of came over to North America, did not do well in the NHL, did not do well in the AHL and got sent back to, uh, to Russia. So what do you think are the biggest the what 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 do you think is going to prevent Kravtsov from getting into the NHL? Well, it's that 200 foot work rate, right? Like, I think a big thing with him is like when he was draft eligible. The things that really blew me away with him was just how skilled he was and how good of a wrist shot he had. Like how quick that shot was, how good he was at just opening up space for himself and just putting the puck in the freaking net. Um, you know, he did that really really well. So, but the but the the question marks are. You know, it seems like the Rangers want these guys who, when you watch them play, they're working hard. Like they're, you know, Brendan Lemieux gets all the ice time in the world from what I've seen, but that's, he's a hardworking guy. They send him out there. David Quinn can rely on him. I think with, with Vitaly Kravtsov, he's similar. Like you think about a Jack Quinn, where a lot of things need to happen to get the puck to Jack Quinn in a position where he can use his best traits. I think Kravtsov is a similar player. He's a player who is best in the offensive zone. And away from the offensive zone, he's still a work in progress. So you 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 can't set the expectations to me for a guy where you need to be in the offensive zone to see what he's doing, because mm-hmm. a lot of work, a lot of hard work needs to go in on the ice to get the puck into the offensive zone. So if he's not playing with guys who can do that better than he can, 
or if he's not playing with guys or if he's playing with guys who just don't want to put in the work that's necessary to put him in the offensive zone with the puck, then that's going to make him look worse because I don't think he's going to pull up that slack, but his offensive tools are, are undoubtable. You know, you get him the puck in the offensive zone, you know, what he's, what, you know, what he's all about. So if the Rangers were trying to get him to move his feet more, apply more pressure and just chip in defensively a little bit more, and he wasn't really responding to that, or it was taking away from his offensive game in his mind, then I can see how that relationship might strain. But I mean, you know, again, this is sort of the benefit of being in Russia as well, is that there's more space to be that catch and release shooter. So you just send him the puck and he can shoot it from anywhere in the offensive zone because there's more room. So we'll see what happens. I still have faith that he's going to be a good scoring winger for that team. They definitely need, I think, more depth down the middle in order to be, you know, stronger in transition and get him the puck in that offensive situation. But I mean... Okay, so last question on Kravstov. How far away do you think he is from the NHL? Do you think he... I don't think I don't I still don't see him as NHL ready going into this season. But do you see one more season yeah. and then see what happens? I'd say one more. I'd say one more season. I think they're going to give him the rope to make it work. But I wouldn't be surprised if he needed another year. Yeah. Okay. So then at twenty at twenty three you had Soderstrom. Twenty four you had Sider. Then twenty five with Kravstov. Twenty six Anderson. We talked about him a little bit. Um, Jake Bean is a really interesting player because I would have figured he'd be in the NHL right now, and he probably would be on almost any other team, but he just happens to be on Carolina where they have unlimited defensemen, it seems. So uh, <laughs> yes. can, can you break his game down a little bit? Because I feel like he's a little bit of a forgotten player among yep. NHL fans. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't seen a tremendous amount of him in the AHL this year, but what I have seen has been very promising, at least offensively. Um, I think he, in terms of if if the game was only played offensively, it would be inexcusable that he was not an NHL player yet. I think his offensive tools are all there; they're all ready to go. It's just, a, I think, the defensive awareness and monitoring the ice in his own end is still something that is a bit of a work in progress, and I think that's what keeps him out of the NHL right now. But uh, I think there's a bit more breathing room for Carolina this year uh, on their defensive group to to allow him the chance to to make a name for himself in the NHL. And I think if they can't make it work for him, he's earned a shot somewhere else. I mean, I think there's not much more for his game, at least as an offensive defenseman in the AHL anymore. Um, I think some sort of a new challenge to crack a lineup elsewhere might be in the cards if he doesn't do it in Carolina this year. But, you know, they have a good problem to have, which is too many defensemen. So, I think he's going to be fine. I really, really love his offensive ability. He kind of does it all. Um, so I think it's about time that he sort of took the next step in his career because he's been just very, very good in the AHL for way too long. So we'll see where we're at in a little while, but but I think he's definitely good enough to be playing in the NHL. Okay, twenty. Sorry, Ty, did you sorry, want to say sorry. something? I was going to say, 28 is Bork. 29, I think we're, uh, we're about an hour here. So I want this to be like the last guy you kind of go in depth on. That's Nick Robertson. It's a big Leafs fan, so I want to hear what you think about his game. Whew. Uh, <laughs> he certainly was drafted way too late. I think my yeah. list had him at like 21 going into the draft. I mean, even if you draft him at 50, whatever it was they picked him, and he doesn't work out, you took a big swing on a guy who could be a good scoring player for your team that you're, you're that they're going to need. Uh, you know, cheap ELC scoring wingers, I think, are going to be a big focus for the Toronto Maple Leafs for the next however long John Tavares, Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner are on the team. Um, so I think that with him, really rambunctious offensive player. I mean, he is, he to me is kind of like up that pod Colson alley, but maybe with more of an offensive finesse game to it and maybe not the same defensive game that pod Colson shows, but that same sort of bull in a China shop kind of mentality. You know, he kind of has that Stutzla sort of, troubleshooting rather than problem solving kind of vibe to him where you never really know what he's going to do when he's on the ice, but he can do pretty much everything. I mean, yes, he can score really, really well, but just puck carrying and making a play, it's all really good with him. So I think he's going to be a solid scoring player for the Leafs. Definitely in their middle six. I don't know about rock solid second line guy, but you know, using your second round pick on a guy who might be able to score 20 goals for your team some at some point uh, maybe that's being too pessimistic even yeah. um is not a bad thing and i think they ended up with a really really good player in nick robertson and it was very apparent that he was very good going into the draft and 
you know, teams took a, took, took a pass, but there are reasons that are somewhat legitimate that they did, mostly surrounding injuries. But, I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs have resources to fix pretty much anything, or at least try. So it seems like he's gotten there. Um, I expect him to at least make the team for a little bit out of camp, considering who their wingers are now. Um, but if not, going back to the OHL is not the end of the world. But boy, uh, he he catches your attention when he's on the ice, for sure. For sure. So why do you... Ha- so I personally would have Robertson a fair bit more up, not not in the top 15 or 20 by any means, but I'd probably have him a couple, probably like six or seven spots higher, probably 22, 23-ish. So what kind of what kind of weaknesses in this game did you see that you had him kind of lower in your ranking? Obviously, all these players are very close, but... Yeah, I think the way that Nick Robertson plays the game is kind of, it lends itself to... I guess what I would call panic mode, you know, like he, he kind of goes so intensely a lot of the time that he can lose track of like, he kind of gets tunnel vision a little bit and can lose possession of the puck, especially we saw it in the NHL in the playoffs this year. Now, granted it was his first couple of games in the NHL and they were playoff sort of games. So, you know, you can't really write home too much about those, but it did kind of come out where when he was applied with pressure against NHL competition, you know, it was that sort of, I just need to get rid of the puck because I don't want to lose it. And then he ends up turning it over or the defensive game, I think needs a bit of work. He works really hard, but he can kind of bounce off guys, but you know, he, he just needs to be stronger and he's still very young. Um, you know, I think time is the big thing that's going to help him get over those issues, uh, barring any injuries that he might suffer in training or something. But um, the big thing for me is sort of adapting to pressure and and using strength to its full advantage. For sure. So then at number 30, you had Hoglander, and that's kind of the last of this list. Uh, I think we've taken up already the 45 minutes plus that you, you said you had, barring some minor technical difficulties. Um, so thank you so much for coming on, and uh, I really appreciate it. I've actually learned quite a bit just from, uh, just from all of your breakdowns and uh, learned a lot from just today, but also from your YouTube videos, from the articles that you write on your site etc so uh thank you so much for joining us and uh please uh shout out whatever you want to shout out for all of our listeners to go find you in whatever places wherever you are uh yeah so you can follow me on twitter uh at scouching you can follow me on youtube as well scouching there as well uh if you like what i do directly want to support me financially uh we have a patreon campaign where there's a bunch of different uh tiers you can look at for data sheets uh discord server that's always very lively um early access to videos and and posts on the site and everything so that's all fun you can check that out there uh i also have an instagram page uh scouching underscore will it's not super active it's more about posting the food that i'm eating because that's what i do uh but yeah you can follow that as well so those are all the the key points awesome okay thank you so much will thanks for coming on thank you thank you very much guys thank you take care buddy see you